Thank you for inviting me. Um, and thank you all who are here. It's nice to have some faces to look at. Um, when I agreed to speak at the forum uh, some months ago on the importance of listening, um, I hadn't envisioned this setting. <laughs> and uh, I have to confess, although I've been speaking and leading workshops on listening for 25 years, I've never done it in a situation that was not interactive. So um, be patient with me. It's designed to be interactive, so we'll just have to use our imaginations a little bit. Um, it, lives, it just lends itself to that. But I feel so strongly about the subject that I have really sort of uh, committed to speaking about it whenever I'm asked, the importance of listening, um, in the hopes that some of you will take away something that makes you a better listener makes you want to be a better listener even. Um, so let us begin with a quick prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear your word for us this morning. Amen. Remember the song by Hal, the lyrics are Hal David, the music was Burt Backrack in the 60s. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, it's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. They um, are just as true today, are they not? We need more love as a nation, between nations. We need more love between groups of people, male and female, black and white, old and young, the list is endless. We need more love in families, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between siblings, and I would say especially between adult siblings. Everyone, from politicians to preachers to teachers and parents, are bemoaning the polarization that we have right now in our culture. Not only do we differ in our opinions, we seem to have hardened in our positions. And we often demonize the other side. You hear this everywhere. And the diagnosis often carries with it a note of despair or hopelessness or cynicism. The theme of this series uh, at Christchurch Greenwich is hope and grace. And I hope today that you get a little hope through learning to listen better and also you feel the grace of it. I don't have all the answers to this huge dilemma that we're in, but I do want to suggest this just one possible per first step toward beginning to bridge the, the divide, the things that divide us and that we see everywhere. Perhaps you might think right this moment about which form of polarization bothers you the most. Is it political? Is it racial? Or is it closer to home? Is it between you and a child? Or you and a, uh, or a parent and a sibling? Um, one fact worth highlighting at this point, lest we give up before we even attempt to bridge this gap, is that Jesus was pretty clear about this subject. He said that loving those who love you is no big deal. But loving, we are called to love our enemies and to pray for those who spitefully use us. 
in taking this first step that I'm proposing. I believe we are on the road to loving our enemies. It's hard to love someone, not to love someone that you've listened to. Um, And this is meant to be a way in which we can be Christ to the world. We can be followers of Jesus. Before I get into the substance of my proposition, let me tell you a little bit of my own story, for it's a story of conversion. Um, Back in 1994, um, when we were living in Europe, while Paul was studying over there, I noticed a book by a former seminary professor on a book table at church. It was this book, simply called Listening by Anne Long. She later became Canon Anne Long. When she wrote this, she wasn't even ordained, but she had taught in the seminary where Paul attended, and I was able to take classes. Uh, So it jumped out at me. It jumped out at me mainly because it was Anne, but it also sort of the second thing was, boy, I need to know more about listening. I'm not a very good listener. So I was intrigued by it, and reading this book set me on a path that um, to learn about the importance of listening, her, her approach for Christian listening is threefold. It's listening to God, listening to myself, and listening to others. For her, they're deeply interrelated. Today, we're going to focus on listening to others, but they are deeply interrelated, and especially as Anne taught it. So based on this, reading this book and getting back in touch with her after a number of years, I attended a week-long Uh, course that she taught in how to teach the principles of good listening. And I've been doing that ever since. That was in 1995. Um, What I have learned, not only was I converted to being, wanting to be a better listener, but I also was converted to the maxim that listening well is a skill that can be taught. There aren't a lot of things that can be taught. It can be taught And it has more healing power in and of itself than anything I know. Everybody can do it. The sad thing is, it is practiced so seldom. So do you want to be a better listener? Maybe that's why you're here. Or maybe that's why you're listening online. Do you believe you can be a better listener? Have you talked to God about this? (laughs) It's a good thing to do. Listening well is something that can be learned, but it does require you to, it doesn't require you to change your mind at all, but it does require you to have the willingness to sacrifice any expression of what I think, temporarily at least. St. Francis, I got this wonderful quote recently about, from St. Francis. A person had not yet given up everything for God as long as he held on to the money bag of his own opinions. As long as he held on to the money bag of his own opinions. We know that money bags are hard to let go of. Good listening is nothing less than the conscious sacrifice of my need to express myself or to be heard by the other. It's simple, it's effective, and it's a much-needed way that we can be Christ to the world. So what constitutes good listening? Um, There's a new bestseller on the market. I don't know if you've seen it. It's entitled, You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters by Kate Murphy. 
She's a New York Times um, writer, and she learned this through interviewing countless people. She decided to write a book on listening because she saw how powerful it was. She asked multiple people all over the world what it meant to be a good listener. And you know what she got in, in response? A blank stare. Most of the time, a blank stare. But when she asked what it means to be a bad listener, there were lots, people had a lot to say. We all know what bad listening, what it feels like to be on the other end of bad listening. So I'm hoping first of all today to help you to think about what it feels like to be listened to and what it feels like when you're not listened to. Now, if this were a regular interactive workshop, we would have a whiteboard or something, and we'd have two columns. Just imagine that. I, wanna think, I want you to think, and if you want to sh shout out, because some of you might be able to, um, what does it feel like? Think, well, first of all, think of some situation, some person in your life who, has, who was a good listener and what it felt like to be in his or her presence for you. Um, it could have been last night. It could have been your grandmother when you were a child. It could have been a coach or a therapist or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Picture that person and think about for a moment what it felt like or what it feels like to be listened to well. Any words come to mind? Finally, sort of, finally someone's listening. Um, yes? Yes? Respected. Lynn said respected. Now, I've heard lots of words come up over the years, and I'll just give you a few of them. You feel that you've been... You're a little bit of relief, actually, in your voice, I, I think. I don't want to put a word in your mouth, but there was relief that you had been listened to. You feel loved. You feel respected, as Lynn said. You feel accepted, heard, uh, valued, understood, energized even. These are some of the words that come to mind and that people have told me over the years. This is how it feels to be listened to. Now, imagine the other column how it feels to not be listened to. What are some of the words that come to mind when you think of what it's like to not be listened to? Not worthy? Rejected? Rejected? Not worthy? Belittled? Disrespected? Invisible? Empty? Maybe angry? Um, helpless? These are unimportant, not loved. These are some of the words. So picture those two, two columns. The difference between loved, valued, heard, relieved, accepted, understood, energized on the one hand, and on the other, invisible, empty, depressed, upset, dismissed, unloved, rejected, unimportant. Think of the difference in those two columns and imagine the power we have to make people feel either loved or not loved through, simply through our listening.
So that's the first step, really, for beginning to appreciate the importance of this message, of learning to be a better listener. We have this power to make people feel so, so, such contrary um, responses in being listened to or not being listened to. The words of Hal David, we need a little more love, and that's one way to get it. So that, that's the first step. The first step is just to know what it's like in our own experience, what, it like, what it's like to feel listened to or what it's like to not feel listened to. Then the second step really is becoming aware of what constitutes bad listening. Um, it's, a, it's a good list. <laughs> it's a long list. Um, and some of you could certainly uh, contribute to this. Some of the examples... Lens has already alluded to it, someone talking over you. That's interrupting. We've all seen examples of interrupting. It's just plain rudeness. It shuts people off. Have you ever been with a couple who talk over each other? It's very uncomfortable. It's really torture to be with. You don't want to be with anybody in that situation. Interruption is rude. And another form of interruption, believe it or not, can be mental. If we're thinking of what we're going to reply to what someone is saying, we're actually, in effect, interrupting them in our own minds. If we're thinking about what we're going to reply to what they're saying, in our minds, we're not listening to them, we're actually interrupting them. A second um, form of bad listening is to make an assumption. I know what you're going to say. Now, this is particularly true in um, close relationships. Um, there's a whole marriage therapy thing based on this, that I don't listen to you because I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and the more familiar you are with a person, the more likely you are to fall into that pattern. But you can also do this with groups of people. You can also assume that just because someone is from a different background of yours or has a different skin color, that they're going to say something. It's an effective, it has the effect of being an earplug if you make an assumption. Um, a third thing would be reassurance or minimizing. When you say to someone, um, oh, what you're going through, you, you know, time will pass, time will heal, or it's, it's really not that big a deal. Anything that you say that minimizes or reassures someone falsely, A, it's usually about you because you're uncomfortable with whatever they're saying. But secondly, it shuts them off. It shuts them off. The point of listening, listening well is always to take it from just conversation or just information to a deeper level, to that emotional level where we really all live. That's where we live. Interpreting is another thing. Now, I, I was careful when, I, when you said what you said. I didn't want to put words in your mouth that you felt relieved that someone had listened to you. you can, people do this all the time. They think they're being helpful by interpreting what you said. Oh, it sounds like you're angry about that. Believe me, that can shut them down. Because either they're going to explode and say, no, they're going to get defensive, or an introvert is going to just pull into his shell and say, and say nothing and yet be shut down. So be careful about interpreting what people say. This is, a, this is another 
I'm just going to give you a list, and this is the next one, and that is asking informational questions. We want to open, when we ask questions, we want them to be very open-ended questions. If someone is telling you about an important thing going on in their life, say someone's parent is sick, and you answer with what hospital are they in, you have taken that, you have, you have sabotaged that conversation. Asking informational questions raises it right back up to the surface instead of enabling it to go deeper into the emotional life. So be very careful about informational questions. They're usually about us. I used to get so frustrated with Paul when he would go to the hospital to, meet, to see somebody who had had a baby. I kid you not, he would come home not knowing what the sex of the child was. <laughs> Because he was concerned about how the mother and the father, whatever, were doing. He was not, he didn't ask the question, which was an informational question. He never knows the diagnosis of anybody. <laughs> so that's important to remember. It's not important. It's not important for what you're trying to get to. Distractions. We all know about distractions. The, the most common one, of course, right now is the, the phone. Um, you can't, if, you, if someone is glancing at their phone or if the television's on in the background, if you have anything other than full-on bodily presence and eye contact, what's being communicated is something else is more important than you are. My children can tell if I'm on the computer when I'm talking to them on the phone. You can hear if somebody's emptying the dishwasher. <laughs> and it, it doesn't, you cannot give full attention. A person will not, if you want them to get to that deeper level, that won't happen if you, are just, if you as a listener are distracted. That's why God invented airplane mode. Um, <laughs> telling your own story is probably one of the worst things. We think we're being, inter- we think we're being empathetic when someone... Um, has back problems. That's the worst of all. Or an abort, someone who's had a miscarriage. And immediately you come back with, oh, I had a miscarriage. Or, oh, I had back pain, and this is what I did. You have, you have, if you picture a conversation as a give and take between two people, you've just turned it right back to the person who's supposed to be listening. Telling your own story you may think is empathetic, but it actually shuts down the speaker. I had this happen the other night at a dinner party when um, we were talking about what we were reading, and there was this very impressive woman that I wanted to impress. And um, (laughs) she said, oh, I've just been reading Emma. Well, it just so happens that I've just been reading Emma. So immediately I countered with, oh, I've just read Emma, and I've not only read Emma, I've watched all the da-da-da-da-da. I didn't learn a thing from her about her experience of reading Emma, why she had read it, or what she had learned from it. I went away learning nothing and bringing the conversation back to myself. And because I'm so sensitive to it, I was really, I was really guilty and felt awful. Um, giving advice is a no-no. Often the listener feels uncomfortable with the situation or the emotion that a person is, is, is um, uh, expressing and thinks that help is being asked for when it's not. It's, this is classic with parents and children. It's all about the listener giving advice is to, to, sh- is to shut down the emotional um, component. Spiritualizing is another thing that Christians are often guilty of. Bringing in, a, quoting a verse of scripture or bringing in a spiritual platitude like, 
all things work together for the good, you know, when somebody's going through a hard time, are they will, they absolutely, I know the intention is good, and you may be hearing some voice about quoting scripture in your head, but it's very, very easy to make a terrible mistake in doing that. Breaking confidence is just an absolute cardinal rule, and especially, this is another thing, that in the church we often gossip under the guise of prayer requests. No, no, it's a no-no. Confidence is confidence, and it's not okay unless you have permission to share a prayer request. Criticizing or judging them in any form, you might as well go home because they're not going to ever talk to you, maybe again. So be careful. They'll explode or they'll just write you off. Those are some, of the, some examples of bad listening patterns um, that most of us fall into. We fall into some of these as patterns in our listening. Um, as you think about your own patterns of listening, who is it hardest for you to listen to? And who is it easiest for you to listen to? It's no surprise that the people who are closest to us are often the ones that are the hardest to listen to. Why? Because we're invested. We're invested in them. If, our, if my husband comes home and says he wants to quit his job, and, I, and I'm supposed to just listen, and I'm thinking about all the consequences for me, that's a little harder, right? Or if a child says, I'm not going to turn in that homework because da-da-da-da, you know, then you're thinking, why am I paying for this schooling? Uh, so it's very hard to listen to people who are closest to us. But you, it, it, I have a friend who's, who's particularly good at listening to her children and to people in the church or in a social situation, but when it comes to her husband, she shuts him down. She can't handle anything negative that he has to say. It can be just the opposite. It can be that you listen to your husband, but in a social situation, you get nervous and you talk too much. There are all sorts of, think about yourself. Are, there, are you known? I guess really an important question to ask is, are you known in your family to your spouse, to your, to your parents, to your children as a good listener? Are you known as a good listener? If not, um, it may be something that you want to work on. Um, there may be patterns of bad listening that you particularly fall into. It may be that you t- ask too many questions, or it may be that you fall into um, spiritualizing, or that you tell your own story, or that especially with children that you want to, you think you're supposed to give advice. There may be certain topics, such as religion or politics, that you find especially hard to listen to. How are you at listening to people with a completely different point of view? Uh, Do you have a curiosity about how someone got to that position? Do you have a curiosity about it, or are you, out of your own need, entrenched in that place of fear and defensiveness? Um, Then the call to love our enemies, are you listening to other points of view? Are you even willing to try? Um, if we don't, we become hardened. If we open ourselves up to listening to others, we will gain an understanding, and we will gain in compassion, and the chance of our hardening our position is much less. My husband, who's sitting right here, has spent a lot of time uh, during the COVID pandemic 
at um, a, a black, an African-American church that we attend in uh, Central Florida, which has become the center for distributing food for the whole of Central Florida, this church has. And he goes there to distribute food. He, he you know, against, you know, it was a little dangerous, I would have to admit, but he did it anyway. And he's known there with great affection because when he goes and he's packing the bags, he's also asking these people whom he doesn't know, who come from a very different background from him, who, you know, what do they do? Who are they? Where did, how did they come to this church? What's going on? How's the pandemic affecting their lives? And they love him. He can often be the only white person in the room, but they now call him Dr. Paul. And they love him when he comes in because they know that there's a, a safe place where they can, somebody who's interested in them and who can, tell, who can talk to them. You may be a person who just talks a lot. Many of us are. Um, and the only thing I would say about that is you can't talk and listen at the same time. It's just not possible. You cannot talk and listen at the same time. And the question to ask you is the question that Kate Murphy has on her book. What are you missing by not listening? What was I missing by not finding out why she was reading Emma? You know, I might have gotten to know something about her. What are you missing by not listening? Good listening means that I value what the other person has to say more than anything I have to say. That means I don't interrupt, I don't criticize, I don't minimize, I don't spiritualize, tell my own story, give advice. It's grace in practice. It's a one-way street. Furthermore, listening and being listened to, you find out that the person often has within herself the advice that she needs. If you impute that to her, as Christ did so often, if you impute to her that she knows what she needs to do, it's a, it's, it really is powerful because someone is 10 times more likely to follow their own advice than they are the most well-intentioned advice of someone else. Um, let me give you an example of something that happened in our own family life. It was, it's, it was a few years ago now. It happened as I was driving one of our children to the airport. And um, we have three grown sons now. And at that time, he was thinking of moving in with his girlfriend in Boston, and they were going to live together and decide whether or not this relationship was going to work. He's telling me this for the first time on the way to the airport. And by the grace of God only, the Holy Spirit, I kept my mouth shut. I said, I said nothing. I just let him talk about his plans and his hopes and what have you. And... I've got to, I could have given him a, a lot of reasons why this was not such a great idea, especially because she was not the right person. But <laughs> and I was convinced. But I said nothing, by the grace of God. I said nothing. And at, at a certain point, he said, Mom, what do you think? What do you think, Mom? Invitation for advice. And I said back to him, smartest thing I ever did, you know, you're smart and you really care about her, and I believe you have it in you to make the right decision. And he reported later at a dinner party years later when I was sitting at the same table with him, he said, at that point when my mom did not give me her opinion, I grew up. Believing that that person has within them the ability to advise himself or herself is really important.
And it's what Jesus did all the time. Okay, next point about listening is that good listening is not just good manners. It's not just how we find out more information and how we bridge gaps, but it's also healing. I'm sure we have a, we have a therapist, Jill Woolworth, sitting right here, and I'm sure that she would say, I believe she would say, that at least more than half of what she does is listen. The power of healing, it's not... It's not a neutral thing. There's healing in listening. And that was really the conversion point for me when I realized that just listening, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not trained in that, but I can listen. And that carries with it enormous healing power. It's a tool that everyone can, can, um, can learn. It simply requires my saying nothing. And for some of us, that's a big sacrifice, especially if we care a lot. But don't underestimate the power of being listened to as well, especially if you become or are a good listener. There's enormous power in being listened to. Do you have someone who listens to you right now? We've never needed it more than in this time of the pandemic. Everybody needs someone to listen to them with full attention. <clears throat> There's um, another book that I recommend, that, that Paul has recently written on peace. It's called Peace in the Last Third of Life, a handbook of hope for boomers. And really, one of the main premises of this book is that it's very important before you die to have peace, to come to a place of peace with your past. Now, a lot of therapy is about this, but it's especially important that you not carry into your last stages of life unprocessed grief or hurt or pain. And so I read this book, and at the end of it, I said, Paul, you keep talking about find somebody to listen to you, find somebody to listen to you, and yes, you can pay a therapist, or maybe you can go to a priest, but I thought, where are these people going to find a good listener? <laughs> there are not many out there, it's been my experience. So as a result, um, I actually have an appendix in this book which is on dedicated listening, the power of healing in a dedicated listening situation. What, what I mean by that, and if this were a workshop in which we were able to be interactive, we would actually divide into pairs right now. And I would give you even five minutes to speak about something that's troubling you to someone who was, your partner would be listening to you with full attention. And at the end of that time, you, the, the listener would ask two important questions. You, you've learned a lot of, some of you have been in Stephen ministry, and you've learned something like this, but these two questions are pretty much unique to, to Anne Long and her, her way of teaching. The first question is, what is the most important thing that you have said? Someone's been talking for five minutes, it can be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, it's just a limited amount of time with full attention, and you say at the end, What's the most important thing you've said? You will be shocked at what people will say. They will often say something they haven't even said <laughs> because it's been going on underneath. The second question is, based on what you have said, is there anything that you want to do about it? And this is where they are given the opportunity to give themselves advice. And it could be a very small step it's not what you would come up with. 
I will guarantee you it is not what you think they should say. And you have to have a good expression on your face when they say what you think is not the right thing. (laughs) Then you switch roles. If we were doing a workshop, then we would switch roles and the, the speaker would become the listener and the listener, the speaker, and do the same process. Now, this is dedicated listening. This is not in conversation. This is, a, this is a, a, a more almost a therapeutic setup. But it's something that two people can do if they're just willing to give the time and willing to listen well. And it has, I've taught this in workshops for 25 years, and people inevitably go away saying two things. The one about speaking and one about listening. The first is, I can't believe what it, was, what it felt like to be listened to and how deep I was able to go in 10 minutes. That's the first thing. They often say, I can't remember the last time I was listened to in an uninterrupted way. And then the speaker, usually, I mean, the, the listener usually says, I can't believe how hard it was to listen <laughs> I wanted to jump in all the time. And I realize now that I'm not a very good listener, that I have, I, I, it requires much more patience and sacrifice than I, re, than I realized. Nevertheless, it is a valuable thing that we can be doing for each other right now. Think about it. Think about someone who's alone or someone who's... Actually, we do this in our marriage. Paul and I will actually set aside a time when we say something's troubling me and can you listen to me and we know that's a cue of what we mean by that it's a cue I mean uninterrupted full attention no advice this exactly this kind of listening that we're talking about it's also very helpful if you're trying to clarify a decision so we do it actually in our marriage Um, with our children Or in regular conversation, this is a little trickier. Uh, Our children would say, don't you do that listening thing on me. (laughs) I want to know what you really think. So you have to be a little more subtle. They've all come back to me now saying, you know, wanting to know about listening. But uh, you have to be in regular conversation. Nevertheless, if you're picking up on the cues. I had lunch with a friend um, just a couple of weeks ago. And I realized in the course of the lunch that she had something that was troubling her, and that she was just edging her way toward depth. So I shut up. It, I quit the to and fro of normal conversation. I just stopped it there, not, didn't say a word about it, and just listened to her and watched as she, in the end, actually came to a place of admitting to an emotional reaction that she felt that she had never admitted before, that she'd been sitting on for years. It happened just in a normal conversation. It can happen. We used to have coffee hours. I used to say it could happen at coffee hour. (laughs) We don't have coffee hours that often anymore. But it was a healing experience. You see what I mean? These are healing experiences. We move from a place of fear. Um, Jill was so brilliant talking about that last, um, a couple of weeks ago. Our brains, when we're threatened, we go into the amygdala, which is fear or freeze, fear, or flight, and we are defensive, we're angry, we're fearful, and we're self-protective. That's our defensive posture, and that's where we go whenever we are not feeling safe. And this could be about politics. This could be about something that's happened in your family. You go into that place. When you're 
when you are listened to well, you often move from that place of, of protectiveness and defensiveness to a place of safety and security, and you move into the frontal lobe. And there you're able to be, you're able to think, you're able to be creative, you're able to imagine something different. You move into a completely different place. I have a friend who's a clinical psychologist, and he says his job is to be a burglar. To teach is to is to burglar is is just like a burglar. The burglar has to get past the alarm system in order to get into the house. Once he gets in the house, piece of cake. He's got there's no problem. He can walk around with a flashlight, and he's got all the time in the world. But getting through that defense system is the trick. So we want in our listening what we're trying to do is listen in a way that we don't set off the alarm and send up the wall. We want to listen in a way that lowers it and moves them from a place of the amygdala, the fear uh, and the flight into a place of safety where something new can happen. Um, What else was I going to say about that? Well, let me just end or move toward the ending with something that happened to me unintentionally recently that that describes this. Um, I had sent an ill-conceived email. I knew the minute I hit send, I shouldn't have done it. it. And it came across, my words came through, rather than as helpful observation, they came through as criticism. And um, I knew it was a mistake, and I apologized in an email very soon thereafter. But that wasn't quite enough. Um, Instead, the person on the other end, whom I had gotten a a really strong email back from, picked up the phone and called me. And then I picked up the phone when I saw who it was. Gulp. Um, I then listened to a torrent. I mean, a fire hose of accusation, of anger, of explanation, ra- rationalizing. I listened and I listened. All I did, I said nothing back except, I'm sorry. I hope you heard my apology. I really am sorry. And I listened. And I listened as he went through this. And he went through this. And it wasn't fun. There were some of the things he was saying were not fair, they were not true but I didn't react. And I was amazed. I was amazed. I I just had this thing in me, trust listening, just trust it. And by the end of the, there was a switch at a certain point. It was as if that person had moved from the one place in the brain to the next. And what came out was hurt. Actually, what happened was your email really hurt me because you mean so much to me. And out of that came a whole new um, conversation. From that conversation of listening, it was painful. I don't want to do this every day. But what came out of it was understanding on my part. I no longer am, I see, I see him differently. I'm not going to go there again because I understand where he's coming from. But I also believe that it was healing for him. He moved from a place of extreme anger and hurt and disappointment to a place of of much more understanding and peace.
the kind of thing that Paul is talking about wanting people to, to move to before they die. It can be very draining to listen to especially unpleasantness. Um, and it took me several days really to recover from that particular conversation, despite the fact that I was ultimately grateful for it. Ultimately grateful for it because it built a bridge, the bridge we're talking about. So just one final thought before we wrap up, and that is that Anne Long teaches listening, as I said, as a threefold approach. It's um, listening. Today we've talked mostly about listening to ourselves. But in listening to ourselves, we learn about ourselves. I mean, in listening to others, we learn about ourselves. So it's a form, if we're, if we're aware, become aware of our patterns of bad listening and why that's happening. If I, I'm aware of my failure to listen or what I've done that gets in the way, I'm much more likely to, um, to know what to do with that, and I'm also much more likely to talk to God about it. There's a, listening and being listened to is essential in my prayer life. I spend much more time in my prayer life now listening to God than telling him what I need or want because it's a threefold approach, the, the listening to myself. And I asked Anne once, I said, how important is listening to myself? It sounds kind of narcissistic. How important is that with um, listening to God? And her answer, essential. <laughs> you can't listen to God if you don't know what's going on with yourself because you're not going to bring what's really important to him. So that's, um, it's, three, it's a three-legged stool, listening to others, listening to myself, and listening to God the way Anne teaches it. And finally, let me just close with um, a passage from Kate Murphy's book on what she has to say about listening. And that's about regret. She writes, not listening is in that sweet spot of things that can really stir up regret over time. Not listening. Regret is the second most common emotional state after love. And the two feelings are intertwined since the most intense regret comes from neglecting those we love. No one ever regrets listening too much. What we all want most in life to understand and to be understood only happens when we slow down and take the time to listen in an uninterrupted way. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Merrick. If you have any questions. I do have a few. And yes. uh, wow, this was just breathtaking. I, I'm looking forward to watching the uh, video of this because I think, you know, I can learn so much by just hearing this over and over again, this has been very, very profound. Thank um, you. You know, I've hosted wonderful speakers from all over for years, and this is one of the finest forums I've ever heard. Oh, yeah, so I just want to say that. <laughs> it's so applicable to all of us, and as a priest and pastor, um, I know I just need to hear this over and over again because uh, we often short-circuit. You know, oh, which hospital is it that your you know, mother's been rushed to and things like that rather than going deeper? You know, I think of the stories you were talking that a friend of mine tells me a story about a, a gentleman from Dallas who was famous for hiking all of the, you know, the great mountains around the world. He was in first class in an airplane once, and he tells these stories to anyone who will listen to them. And he talked the entire flight 
to the person. And as they were getting off, he said, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't even introduce myself and catch your name. And the man next to him said, my name's Neil Armstrong. And sometime when we have a chance, I'll tell you a few of my stories. <laughs> we're so full of ourselves, by the way. Uh, so just opening up that space to listen. Um, I do want to let all of our listeners know, by the way, we have coffee now and tea. So, so come on and join us in person in the future. How do you help a family member who's not a good listener listen better? Um, <laughs> I think what would I do in that situation? Of course, I have that um, situation in some, sometimes. Um, Paul happens to be a very good listener. He, he really is. So I'm so fortunate with that. Um, children, somewhat. The, um, what do you do? I, I probably would propose a listening situation and set up rules and say, I need to be listened to. Can you listen to me? And then ask them to, you know, and then you listen in return. To actually set up something that's a, a listening um, exercise. Possibly, I mean, you just can't give somebody a book. You can't, it just doesn't work. But becoming a better listener yourself is probably the key to it. I have, a, I have a particular friend that I have talked to about this. And it's very, you have to have complete trust. They have to know that you really are on their side. And maybe if you have some example of how this got in the way, you know, are you aware that when you interrupted your brother, he didn't say what he was, you know, he was in pain and he needed to talk? I mean, somehow just not in a, and so you have to avoid the accusatory, but if you can just gently point out in some way something very specific or give a, an opportunity for listening, that's, that's, that's what I, I have, I do have this, I have someone in particular that I have, have mentioned it to, and it's been um, mixed reviews. <laughs> <laughs> mixed reviews. And how about it with couples? Uh, they say that 50% of all divorces uh, result from an inability to communicate effectively. Where have you seen this work well with couples and where they can grow if they're struggling to communicate it's, it, You know, I, I know everybody's concerned about politics and stuff right now, but my main concern with this, I would, number one, would be couples. I think couples don't know how to listen to each other and don't do it very well. I would say it's an absolute beginning. I have a, I have a couple friend um, who've used a book out of Imago de, the the Imago Imago therapy. Uh, Imago therapy, uh, right. where they actually have, uh, they were really in a bad way. And um, they developed th this program that they have, which is similar to this, where you really are trying to listen to the emotions of the other person. And they have a check-in every, this, this is save their marriage. It, they have a check-in every single day on how they're doing with fear, anger, uh, love, whatever it is, these four, there are four things you check in about. So in a marriage, it's just any way you can get them into a situation where they can do a... I think the structured listening helps. Mm -hmm. I think the structured listening helps. That's all I would say. Um, a famous woman in our life, Dorothy Martin, who was a wonderful clinical psychologist and, and theologian, said that her 
role in marriage counseling was to bring grace into the relationship. So definitely the right kind of counselor can be a huge help. A lot of people need a third party. Um, that's, those are some of the things I would suggest. But this structured thing that I've watched this couple's marriage after 40-plus years come back to life is all around a structured time of listening to each other every day. That's great. I mean, it creates such intimacy when a couple can just talk with, and know they're being heard. Um, you know, so many couples, they struggle to have physical intimacy, but they're not going to have physical intimacy if they can't have that kind of soulful intimacy of just hearing one another out. Um, you know, and you get into patterns. Yes. You get ingrained in patterns. You really do get into patterns. And this assumption of I know what you're going to say shutting them down. So I would go into the most structured situation you can where there are rules. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that, that would be what, what I would recommend. I don't know what Jill would say, but something like that. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. The, uh, one psychologist said that most humans listen with only 25% efficiency. And a person can uh, think four times faster than a person can speak. So the average person speaks about 125 words a minute, but our brain is just whirling around. How are some ways that we can check that? So that instead of thinking, well, how does that person look? Or, you know, um, what's over there behind there or whatever. Our minds go through all this stuff. You know, my, my whole laundry list of what needs to be done. How do we check ourselves so that we can not be processing four times faster than we're trying to take in the words? Um, that's absolutely true. There's a whole chapter on that in this book in which she talks about that. And people with the higher IQ they have, the harder it is because their brains are moving very, very fast. Um, It's like meditation. (laughs) It's Mm. a discipline. It's like letting go of those thoughts, um, becoming aware of them, and letting them go and refocusing. in the, um, in the exercise that Anne has you do, I fail to say, you actually repeat back verbatim the words that the person has said, and it is really hard to do. To rep- not put words in their mouth, but actually repeat back verbatim. So if you know that you're going to have to repeat back verbatim what someone has said, you're more likely to listen well. But it's a problem. I don't know what to say except that I feel it's the same principle as meditation or some kind of centering prayer or something is a constant letting go of those thoughts and being, being aware and letting them go. Mm-hmm. So there are four main ways we communicate with language, you know, reading, writing, speaking, and listening. Yeah. And our schools do a very effective job, by and large, with teaching, reading, writing, and speaking but not listening. not listening. I mean, I've never heard of anyone who took a course in listening, and yet it kind of breaks your, your relationships, your career, all sorts of things. Uh, so many people, when they you know, look for a, a new head of an organization, say, we want a good listener. But so many people say about their leader, he's a terrible, she's a terrible listener, doesn't listen. Um, so how can we teach listening more effectively? And do you have any ideas for how a church can? Like, this forum, I think, is so important for that. What other ways can we teach listening in our society? Well, it's interesting, Merrick, because you, I actually had someone in this congregation who's watching online say that she was with a group of economists the other day, and they were saying, 
what we need is to know how to listen. I mean, it's everywhere. If you have ears to hear, the, the need for listening is in every avenue of life. I don't know what to say. That's why I always say yes, even though I'm very nervous before it happens, to, to speaking about listening because I think it's so important. Um, workshop, the workshops that, that I've done over the years, I think, I think you have to get, help people to get to a place of conversion because they have to be, um, be willing to let go of what they have to say. And that is, they think that's more important. So just seeing it in action, when people see it in action and feel the, the healing power themselves as well as experience the power of giving that to someone, that's, what, that's where the conversion happens. So opportunities um, for that. I don't know more than that. That's why I say yes. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a great theologian, Paul knows far more about him than I do, who was killed in a concentration camp, I think just 10 days before the war ended on specific orders from Adolf Hitler. Um, Bonhoeffer said the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists of listening to them. And he added, many people are looking for an ear that will listen but the one who can no longer listen to his brother or sister will soon no longer be listening to God. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot today about listening to one another, but is there a sacred nature to listening that involves our being able to listen to God as well? Well, we have to move out of that defensive ego place in order to listen to someone else. And if we learn how to do that, we also have to do that in order to listen to God. It's the same process. Um, Bonhoeffer also said that, um, that many Christians are talking when they should be listening, and so they're particularly guilty of that. He, um, I don't know, I'm, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, let me add another one. Um, Morton Kelsey, who's someone who is now deceased, but a uh, wonderful Episcopal priest who wrote many, many fine books, and he writes that the fine art of listening will unlock more doors into life than anything else I can think of. Real listening, he said, notes, is a religious experience. It is. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> I totally believe it. And I think we don't have... Just listen to conversations around you. People are taking turns talking. They are not listening. They're taking turns talking, and they're often missing. Um, it just, it's the foundation for her. Her book is, is dedicated to anybody who's ever, for anyone who has misunderstood or has felt misunderstood. That's how important it is. I'm so grateful for this book. It's a secular book, but it's... I want to buy all three of these. So I think <laughs> it's, uh, they're all available. This right. one you have to get through... Um, you can get it on, uh, you know, through the marketplace. Um, it's 17 printings. Wow. That's it needs to be rewritten. It was done in, you know, much earlier. But this is a great update that's, that has an awful lot in it. And um, I, don't, I don't know what to say except that it's uh, doing what we're doing today, doing, right. doing what you're being aware and following through on that, listening to each other. When you listen and you see the power of it, you want to listen more. That's all I can say. How about the, going to Jesus for a moment? Uh, a word from our sponsor, if I may say. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have red, uh, red line Bibles. You know, I have red letter Bibles. And I have one at home. I gave it to our middle daughter when she went off to college. And it has all of Jesus' 
words and sayings in red. So they just jump out at you. But I have the belief that all of Jesus' miracles began not with his words, but with listening or seeing. He either heard someone share something or he saw something. Yeah. Can you talk to us about the power of Jesus' ability to listen? Because it's not in red letters. Mm -hmm. um, it's not there. We, we yeah. just have to assume that. But it happened. Well, he was he did not have this need to defend himself. He knew who he was, where he'd come from, and where he was going. So he did not live out of the amygdala of his brain, I don't believe. He was free. He was free to take in what he saw in others. And so whether it was the woman at the well where he heard what she didn't say, or Zacchaeus up in the tree, or the disciples in the boat, he heard what he, he was so tuned in that he heard what people were not saying because he was not, he was not needing to defend himself. And those situations in which we don't listen well, I have really become convicted of this, that the times when I don't listen well are almost always because I'm feeling insecure in some way or I'm upset in some way. So being tuned into that, Jesus didn't, was not there. He was, he was able to give of himself completely. He, he, didn't, he didn't have anything to prove, mm -hmm. uh, nothing to protect. What is that saying? Nothing to prove and nothing to protect. Didn't have that. And so he was free to, to be other-oriented, to be other-directed, and um, that was the key. So that's what I would say we learned from him is that he, and, and listening, you know, this is just scratching the surface. I spent a week learning how to teach this because uh, there's a whole day on nonverbal. You know, 85% of our communication yes. is nonverbal. That's why I today believe very much in doing FaceTime instead of audio. Anything you can, everything you can do to see as much of the, of the, the body language of somebody. Jill said, this is hard. You don't even see how they're sitting often mm. uh, on a Zoom call. You just see up here. So the more we can be present to each other to break down these barriers and see the whole picture, I can tell so much by the body language. And that's what Jesus did. He, mm. he, he saw it. He saw Nathaniel from afar off, and he knew what was going on with him. And it wasn't anything big. He just was no he noticed Nathaniel across the room. And Nathaniel said, how did you know me? I'm a, no I'm a nobody. I wasn't doing anything. But Jesus had seen him. Mm -hmm. And that's what we all want. We want to be seen. And we want to be seen by Jesus. And he sees us. I think that's important to remember, that mm -hmm. he sees us and he listens to us. And he's, um, and that, my picture of Jesus as my, uh, as someone, I actually have a, a new practice that I do, which is writing to Jesus. It's very helpful. It sounds corny as all get out. <laughs> but I write down a dialogue with Jesus. I write down, Mary says, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then I write down what I think Jesus would say back. And it's fascinating. You That's would not great. believe, <laughs> you would not believe. I learned this from a spiritual director at a Jesuit retreat house. And you would not believe how much comes out and how it reorients your thinking. It's like, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And it helps us to change our picture of, of who Jesus is because really most of us in, internalize something that's, that he's not. I love how you talked about seeing and being, feeling like you've been seen because I, my whole ministry has been in large churches uh -huh. and with, you know, 
1,400, 1,600, 2,300 people. So people will sometimes say, I don't feel like he ever sees me or something. People want to be seen they, um, as individuals. Uh, so it's a vital, vital thing. Now, back around the year 500, uh, St. Benedict wrote his famous little rule for beginners, which is known as the Rule of St. Benedict. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, it's said to be the most important book written by Christians, apart from the four Gospels, some people claim. Um, he begins with the opening word, listen, a sculpt in Latin, uh, which also means to listen with a sense of being willing to obey. But he has this great line, listen, my son, to the instruction of your master. Turn the ear of your heart to the advice of a loving father. Accept it willingly and carry it out vigorously. How can we learn to listen with our heart and not just with our head? That You know, so many of us, especially men, are just so up here that they say the longest journey for a man to ever make is from the head to the heart. Um, how can we learn to listen more from the heart? Well, it has to do with a lot of these, not breaking a lot of these rules. If we, it's amazing how people love to talk. They love to talk about themselves. And if we don't break if we don't shut them up, it's amazing what they will go to. They're dying to go to. And, but if we, if we in our hearts know that nothing happens in the head that's important, <laughs> I don't think very, very little happens in the head that's important. All of our decisions, all of our important uh, changes take place in the heart. So that's the point of this listening well, is to move beyond that surface and to go deeper. And that's what we need to do with God. That's what we need to do in our prayer life. That's what we need to do with each other. And we need to do it with ourselves. We need to be aware of these. And as we go deeper and we go into the emotional part, then we're getting to the important place. It's about changing hearts. It's not mm -hmm. about convincing. And so many arguments and so many divisions are, are, we're assuming that there's something rational going on. And there isn't. There's seldom something rational going on. It's, it's sub-rational. And we're not going to ever convince anybody on that level. But if we listen, the, the opportunity, change, the only change agent is compassion and love. Under, being understood. That is the only change agent. Mm -hmm. And we think good advice is, we think rational argument is, we think all sorts of things are going to change somebody. And it's not true. The only thing that really changes somebody is compassionate understanding, which is another definition of love. Now, I used to live in Philadelphia for 23 years, and Douglas Steer is a was a well-known name many years ago. He's a Quaker who taught at uh, Haverford and a uh, wonderful author, too. He said to listen to another's soul into a condition of disclosure may be the greatest service that any human being ever performs to, for another. Mm. Um, how do we usher that in? And have you had, do you have a hero of listening who, who you said, boy, that person has a gift. Um, uh, a fellow named Martin Smith, uh, who's a wonderful uh, Episcopal monk and now lives in Washington, um, once came and did a workshop for us and then we went out to dinner that evening. And I found myself telling him things I never told anyone. And you know, you feel like, I've got to put my guard up, you know, but it's just like the ability. How do we create that ability in among ourselves to listen to a soul into disclosure. And do you have any heroes who you've seen? Uh, Anne is my hero. Yeah. No question. Anne Long, who's now 
80, she's in her mid-80s, and um, when you're with her, you know that she's not thinking about anybody else. You're the only person in the room, number one. But you also have this feeling that she's listening to God. You can't get anything by her. <laughs> it's a little scary. Actually, you feel like it's the closest that I think I would feel to being in the presence of Jesus because she sees, she's, she's not, um, she's talking to God. She's listening to God. I mean, she's listening to God, and she's listening to you, and that's all she's doing, and most of us aren't doing that. So she's definitely my hero. She's uh, led me into all sorts of uh, places. I actually, um, I have lots of stories of places that Anne has led the way um, for me. So she, it's that, it's that, that sense that, um, that she's able, because she, but it's, the key is she's not in a defensive place. That is the key. She is not protecting herself. She is open to me, and she's open to God. And it's, it's truly healing when someone is able, when you're able to disclose something, or when someone's able to dis- they Often they'll get embarrassed. They may backtrack. But it's a healing moment when someone is able to disclose something that's emotional and that's tender. It's a tender spot. It may be, it may be something that's, that has been defended for years, but if that happens, if that healing happens in disclosure, it's, it's very powerful, and it's, tr- it's a treasure to hold. Mm-hmm. It's a treasure. Just a couple more questions. So, <laughs> and they, one is um, you've mentioned spiritual direction. That's yes. a form of listening that's very profound. Could you just say a little something for folks who don't know quite what that's about? Spiritual direction is talking to somebody on a regular basis who's really only concerned with your relationship with God. It's not therapy. It's not a friend. It's somebody who's, who's there for you uh, and interested in your relationship with God. And it's, um, we all need help, <laughs> any form of help we can get. And this is, this is a very valuable one. It's hard to find people. That's the hard part. Is, and we can do some of this to, on a limited extent for each other. I have people who do it for me. But... Um, Finding the right person is not always that easy, but it, that's what it is, is finding someone whose only focus is your relationship with God. Okay. We'll follow up with that with a, a, a form on that because it's so important in the spiritual journey. Two last thoughts. One and it is, involves humility. Yes. <laughs> it requires humility. You're not going to go to a spiritual director if you think you've got it sewn up. So last two thoughts. One is in the workplace. Uh, for instance, studies show that uh, we have 18 seconds when we speak to a f- physician before the physician responds. And if we have three things that we came in or, you know, now we do it over the phone and uh, telemedicine and want to talk to our physician about, they often only the first one gets addressed because the physician's so quick to try to answer that. How in the workplace can we model listening better so that we can be more complete in how we carry our profession? Um, it's an attitude. Listening is an attitude. Um, we talked about these very specific, almost therapeutic settings for listening. But to have a listening attitude in life is really valuable and rare. And it's a listening, it's an attitude of what, it, and it's a kind of a curiosity that, 
what the other person has to say is more important than what I have to say. And it's, it's a, a position in life of being curious and of, being, of having an imagination and wanting to make a connection with people. So it's, it's a, it's, that's why this has this threefold approach because the more you listen and are listened to, the way that, when that healing takes place, then that helps you to be a better listener. And if you're bringing God into it, you're, you're developing an attitude of listening. And if you become a person who's known as a listener, believe me, people will flock to you. You will need someone to listen to you. So it's not, it's, we all have places where we listen better and worse, and it may be that it's hard to listen at work. But that becomes a place to work on with God in your, in your spiritual life, is to say, I'm not doing such a good job of listening to my employees. Um, hey, God, help me with this. Do this your dialogue with Jesus and talk about it. And, and make that a project to, to learn to care about what's real. Because there's a reason. What did, um, who was it said? Um, there are two reasons for everything. One is the reason they give you, and the other is the real reason. It's, it's in this book. I can't remember who it is. It was somebody very famous. There are two re- to get to the reason why somebody's behaving the way they're behaving, mm-hmm. to get to the reason why somebody's a, a compulsive talker, there's a reason for that. So if we're curious about that, we can sometimes get to it. So it's a whole attitude. It, it, it's for every part of life. I want to conclude by just asking something that I think all of us are struggling with in our nation right now and around the world probably, is that... Um, Walter Lippmann, for instance, a great columnist once was fond of observing that we make our decisions and conclude what we've heard from others based on pictures we have in our head, Mm. uh, images of uh, what we think about before we even actually listen to the person. So we end up listening for rather than listening to, listening for confirmation or I knew you were going to say that or, you know, I knew you leaned this way or that way. Um, How can we do a better job of this? in this tense political time to realize that everyone's a child of God and to hear what they're truly saying, including politicians from differing sides. We could, then, they could learn a little bit about yeah. listening. <laughs> um, I just want to say that what Jill said the other day really has had an impact on us. Uh, I've had two examples of being able to say to, um, in a situation, we, we had our, our two, of, two of our three adult sons were with us for dinner the other night. And rather than get into a discussion of politics, we all shared what was important to us in the election. We framed it in a positive way, and we all had complete, and we all learned. We all learned that what was really important to the others was different, A, it was different. So what was motivating who they, it wasn't, it wasn't about who you're going to vote for, and it wasn't about personalities. It was about what's important to me. And it was, and then I had the same thing happen with, with a friend who's very actively involved in a campaign. And I found that both of, both of these discussions were a little unsettling because they actually force you to, to question yourself if you've really listened to another point of view. It's hard to harden into a, an absolute us, them, we, they position if you've listened to somebody coming from a different point of view. So I just recommend what, what uh, Jill had to say. That was so powerful, and we've practiced it, and it was, it was really wonderful. We all came away with respect, 
Nobody got heated. It was kept at a, at, at a, a nice level, but it was very informative, very informative. And um, nobody's going to write anybody off after a conversation like that. But if you start about personalities, or, but if you just say, this is what's important to me in this election, that, you know, there are, there are a lot of issues. And everybody has one or two that are most important. And that was just so helpful. I just can't say how helpful it was. What a great note to end on. A note of hope. And a, a note, note of, of hope. grace. <laughs> I hope a, so. <laughs> and a note of building upon what Jill Warworth shared with us just uh, uh, recently. So I thank you all for joining us either personally or virtually today. God bless you, Mary. Thank we you, hope to Mary. have you come back. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you so much.